So I started working with a father in Sweden the other day who was really struggling with his seven-year-old kiddo. And as he started to describe the behavior to me, it became evident to me in my non-professional uh, diagnostic abilities, which are severely limited. It's why I interview the experts is because uh, I'm still a layman by my own consideration. I'm not trying to Look, the first thing I told him is that he needed to go get his son looked at and analyzed, go through a process of testing to verify what I suspected. And what I suspected, as he told me his son's behavior, was that his son was on the spectrum, the autism. And of course, the way the universe works is not a couple days after this conversation, a, an author on autism reached out to me to be on the podcast. And, and we've been briefly connecting off. I'm going to bring on Robert Bernstein to talk about autism and his experience with autism and with his brother and the book he's written. And the, the goal here is to really get parents to understand with all the kids that I have worked with, thousands of kids and thousands of families over the years of running a treatment center, being a, a parenting coach, a child coach, is that autism and spectrum behavior truly has its own language. And if you cannot understand what your child is saying to you through their behaviors, it's not the child's fault. The, the impetus of change cannot be put on a child to communicate correctly with the adult, especially if the child's five years old, seven years old, three years old, 15 years old. Parents who are wondering what the heck is going on and why can't we dial this in with our kiddo have to consider autism as a possibility. And you've got to get your kid tested. You've got to get your family tested. Does that mean everybody in the family has autism? No, that means everybody in the family is dealing. And if you're not trained to deal with a child who is on the spectrum, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. My guest, Robert Bernstein, he has devoted his career to improving the lives of families and children and adults with autism spectrum disorder. Um, he developed his cognitive-based approach over more than 30 years of in-depth one-on-one work with clients ranging from nonverbal toddlers to high-functioning adults. His brother had autism. The book he has written is Uniquely Normal, Tapping the Reservoir of Normalcy to Treat Autism. And Temple Grandin has written his forward. I have an experience with Temple Grandin that I have to say that is one of the funniest stories in my work with children. When I was running my kids' warrior camps, I had a booth at an event for teachers and educators. And in my booth, I've got a little trebuchet that flings rocks onto a target and a little castle cut out. You're trying to fling the rocks through the castle window. And I've got a crossbow bolt that fires marshmallows and a bow and arrow and a video going of kids at our kids' warrior camp and the warrior goddess program. And this woman walks up with three women around her. And this woman is wearing one of the most garish cowboy shirts I have ever seen in my life. And she walks up and she stares at me and she looks at the video for about five seconds and she looks at the trebuchet and she looks back up to me and she goes, this is violence. And she walks away. And I was completely blown away. I was, I was 
overwhelmed. I was frustrated. I was angry. She didn't ask me any questions. And she just completely walked away and I couldn't respond. And I'm like, who does this woman think she is? I, this is a very successful camp. You can't just, and someone walks up to me and goes, it's okay, that's, that, that's Temple. And I was like, who the? And I look at the program, I'm like, oh. She is the leading expert. So this guy has got the leading expert on autism and spectrum behavior writing uh, the intro to his book. I watched her talk. She is one of the most brilliant women I have ever seen in my life. So without further ado, Robert Bernstein is my guest. Parents, you need to know if your child is on spectrum and what to do if it is. So Robert, thank you so much for joining me. Hope that story didn't take too much time, but Thanks, man, Dad. Temple rocked my world in one moment. She's amazing. She is amazing. She really, she really is. And the one thing I'm going to miss about our podcast are the questions from parents that we can, we can address their issue for their kid. Well, I think both you and I, I mean, we've been working with parents long enough. And, and I have, and I say this in almost all my podcasts, I have my parents uh, who listen to this podcast. I have their voice in my head. So when the question comes up, I'll yeah. ask it because I get to still look at this from a lay perspective and from a professional who has provided treatment in a residential form to kids on the spectrum. And it throws the stat for a loop. So let's talk about this first thing as we get into this, about this, they have their own alphabet. What does that mean from your perspective when I said that kids on spectrum have their own language, have their own alphabet, have their own operating system? What's, what is that about? Oh, wow. It's a loaded question. But let's start with something that's both positive and negative, that I'll have a kid who'll have this kind of magical language because they abbreviate what they want in a word. So the kid would say move, which just means let's continue. Let's continue driving. Let's, let's continue what we're doing. Or a, a kid would say um, open. Oh, hey, well, this may be a better example. A kid would say thank you. He gives, gives me a bottle to open. He wants me to open the bottle of water. He says thank you. Now, it works. So he keeps on saying thank you. Instead of saying open the bottle, which is like real communication and language, he just says thank you. Now, what do we do as adults? We say, oh, we, we open the bottle because we know what he's thinking. So in one way, yes, we can learn what he's thinking. And I'll have a sibling coming in with a kid and the kid will say, go. Oh, go means blow the balloon, right? I'm going to blow the balloon. And, and wait a second, I say, wait, wait a second. He, the kid, the autistic kid knows I should blow the balloon. He gets, he understands it. He's saying, go. Why doesn't he say blow the balloon? Why do we fill in for the kids? This is the negative part. Why do we fill in? Why don't we have this kid elicit? Why don't we get this kid to elicit the language that's in his head? My philosophy of education is that if a child, and not, not everyone agrees with this, if a child has the idea, then language comes. Language comes, comes from an idea. It's a, it's a cognitive approach as opposed to the behavioral approach that will say you know, language could be superficial. Here's a card that, that it's a picture of a house, say house. I'm saying, no, no, there's no language if the kid repeats something, if, it, if the kids wrote. I want language to come from within. The kid knows to say blow the balloon. It drives me nuts that we as parents and educators are not getting the child to use the language the way 
we all use the language because when he's in with his peers, when he's in school and he says go, no one's going to know what he means. Go doesn't mean blow the balloon to me. So, so it's um, when you talk about their own language, part of it, all right, this might be 1% of the answer to your question, but part of it is, hey, there might be more language there that we need to, to elicit from the child. There, one of the, the, the techniques that I started to work on with the father who I was coaching, uh, whose son just, again, is presenting, there's some criteria, there's some signs, so I said, you got to go get tested, was he, he's been holding this vision of what it's like to have a seven-year-old son. And his son is not, his son loves soccer, football in, in Sweden. And the child will be on the field playing. Someone doesn't pass him the ball. So he'll run to either side of the field, get his own ball and play <laughs> soccer by himself. And, you know, the parents are looking at him and he's looking at himself and he's reanalyzing everything he's done wrong with the parent as a parent. And the, the, the process that I'm saying is that you're still not speaking your son's language. Your frustration is coming from the fact that you wish your son spoke yours. And that's not what's taking place. Your son is offering you an opportunity to study a different paradigm of parenting. This came from a video I watched when I was in junior high. And I, as I look back, this has to be my first interest in psychology, where there was a nonverbal infant, then to toddler, in, in autism. And we were watching this in science class. And all this child would do was sit in the crib and rock. And when the child was able to sit upright, the child would just spin a plate. If the child wasn't spinning a plate, the child was screaming. So the child was just spinning a plate. And the mother had, she was a single mom. She had tried everything to get any response. So this child was beyond nonverbal. There was, there was no eye contact. There was no nothing. When she would try to change the child's diaper, the child would scream, scream because it wasn't spinning the plate. No connection happened with the child until the mother sat down and spun a plate with the child. Mm. Then and only then did the child look up and acknowledge the mother. And that was the breakthrough process. Why? What is, what is that process? Okay. A, a couple of things. Let's look at the soccer or football example, right? Um, you said one thing that really struck me is that what am I doing wrong as a parent? How can I get my kid to do that. I'm going to tell you something you may not have heard before. I haven't, I haven't heard it in the 30 plus years that I've been working. I don't, I don't, I'm against curriculum. And I'll tell you why. Curriculum means I know what you have to learn. And that's what this parent is doing. I know what you have to learn. Why can't learning come from the child? Why can't, it, why can't the, what, what the child needs come from the child? In this particular case, I'll guess what this child needs to learn. And it's not, you know, it's not what, what's in the parent's mind or the teacher's mind. It's that, for example, this child may need that he's not the only one in the world, that he's egocentric. He doesn't understand what it is, this soccer team, it's from the other person's point of view. He doesn't understand there's a team. He doesn't stand it. If he walks off the field, it hurts the team. There are, there are other people other than himself. And autism, ought, like automobile, is, means alone. So it's, it's very common. I'm bringing this up, and I can imagine the parents listening to this going, yeah, yeah, that sounds like my kid, because it is so common. 
So my perspective as a cognitive person working with this kid, I'm saying, listen, what's underlying this, this soccer? Forget about the soccer or the football. What's underlying it? Let's teach this kid the enormous concept of understanding something from someone else's point of view. That is one of about five or six things you need in order to speak in the first place. That there is another person out there other than yourself. Why should the child speak if he doesn't expect a response? It makes sense. Why should the child speak in the first place if he's not expecting a response? Cognitively, that means he knows there's another person out there and he, that other person has another point of view. This kid may not be able to speak, let's say, I don't know the kid well, or, or converse well, because he doesn't know the other person's, person's point of view. So I tell the parent, okay, I'm glad you told me that example. It's given me a sense of what's going on within the kid's mind that may be more important than the behavior of kicking the ball to a teammate. You could teach the kid the behavior of kicking the ball to the teammate. There's a whole philosophy education. In fact, the, the traditional education today, applied behavioral analysis, ABA, we're gonna teach the kid to teach, kick the ball to a teammate. Good, let's put a check mark. I'm saying, no. I'm saying he may need to have that underlying concept of understanding something from another person's point of view. To me, that's critical. If he gets that, then a lot of things change from that, including language and relationships. You, you said ought as an autism, that that translates to alone. And that just completely blew my mind. That, that, so it's like aloneism is literally what this is. That's right. The early people, yes, they look at that. And, and that's the original concept that these kids really are in their own world. They're really alone. And, and this relates to the second thing that you said, how do we get into their world? How do yeah. we, now that's an, that's, that's an important way I said that. How do we get into their world instead of, I need them to be in our world. You see, that's where this curriculum, I, I need you to sit down. Wait a second. Why, why don't we understand what's going on in the kid's mind? You know, a kid may have had his pet, died in the morning and he comes and he's upset, you know, and the kid's upset coming into a classroom, talking about a typical normal kid. And the teacher says, hey, you have to sit down because that's, you know, that's what you need to do. Instead of saying, what's wrong? What happened this morning? I, I have noticed with, with kids who exhibit spectrum behavior that I have worked with, um, that there tends to be a, a really deep, holding on to past painful events. Um, we had a young man uh, in our program who could not get past a violent altercation he had had with his father three years prior. Now, yeah. when, you know, but the, the dad and the kid during family therapy, their talking was, was emotional, it was intellectual, but the kids say, well, that was all great and fine, but I still hate you for what happened three years ago. And, you know, when you looked at the situation yeah. that happened three years ago, A, the dad was restraining the kid because the kid was trying to jump out of a car after punching the dad in the face so he could go in and attack the, uh, 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 the, the manager of the fast food restaurant they were sitting in the parking lot of. That was the violent altercation that they had. But this kid had still written it up in his mind 
then it was a massive offense. What is that? What is the holding on of something like that? That it literally, like, like the past cannot die. Yeah, and it's it's actually part of the definition. That doesn't mean everybody has that scenario in, in, in his or her mind, but part of the definition that there's a repetitive action for almost all kids on the autism spectrum. It could be anything from, you know, sucking your undershirt or flapping, but there's an obsessive quality, and part of that obsessive quality is sometimes thinking or a thought. They not They can't let go. It's an obsessive quality. So, um, so yes, you can have all the psychotherapy you want and, you know, get, get people together and talk about it and this and that. It's not, it's not going to help this kid who has this automatic thing to this obsessive quality. And um, the way I, I kind of break that is in real situations. So I'm driving this kid to a pizza place, <laughs> very similar to, to what your example is. And this kid, um, he's in the back. He's very upset about something that happened in the past that we don't have to go into. And he's in the back seat and he hits me like, whoa, all right, this is real. He said, you know, you hit me. It's dangerous. And he says, he doesn't care that it's dangerous or I may swerve and we both get killed. He cares about me telling his mother, you know, and at, at some point and he goes on and on and on and on. And I'm parked outside the pizza place. And I said to him, well, we could keep on doing this. We could keep on with your perseverative, repetitive act and thinking, or we could just get pizza. <laughs> I'm giving him his choice. I want, I don't, I'm not going to force him, you know, be quiet. We have to go, be quiet. You have to go to school, be quiet. No, I, look, this is the key to, one of the keys to my therapy and parents could pick up on this when they can. They can't do this all the time. And that is, I don't care if he doesn't go get pizza. You know, I have an idea in my mind, we should do this, but I want it to be up to the kid. I want the kid to decide whether he's going to stop or have pizza. And if he keeps going, I'll say, well, you know, in another 10 minutes, we're going to have to go back to my office because your time is going to be up. And I'm okay with that. You see, I'm okay with that. I'm okay not going to the damn pizza place, right? I don't care about that, right? I care about if the kid could, could take ownership of his own mind and his own thinking. That's what I care about. Okay, so so makes sense that offering choices and limiting the choices, like they can't be ambiguous, open-ended, universal choices. What do you want to do today? Like it has to be blue shoes or red shoes, right? And parents have to be okay with blue or red. They, you know, like what you said, you had to be okay with the options that you were offering this child for the choices because the ambiguous options. Well, you can either go to school or stay home. Well, I'll stay home. If you're not okay with the kids staying home, don't offer them staying home. Like it's got, but, but sharing choices, sharing power, that is control. Choices and power is a definition of control. So, so yeah. that makes total sense to me. That's so right. another, another sign, another, just a quick comment. When we're talking about kids on the spectrum in the COVID crisis, yeah. Right? One of the things that I suggest, and there's a list of things, but one of the things I suggest is have like a family time where you're listening to each other about what you're upset about. It could be, you know, I'm trying to get ready and my kid's in the bathroom. Good, I'll wait for him to get out of the bathroom. Now I'm ready to go back in the bathroom. He's in there again. I mean, you know, how do you coordinate? 
our lives in this very stressful time when you have more people, more noise, more things happening. So maybe you have a time, eight o'clock at night, that you get together and, and talk. Now, here's my point. If the talking, the family talk, if, if you want to try that, is not, listen, I'm the parent. Let me tell you what you have to do in order for all of us to live at peace. You have to be able to listen, just like what you're saying. We have to be able to listen and really listen to what it is from the kid's point of view. Otherwise, you know, my kid says the birds woke me up this morning. All right, what do we do? <laughs> you know, let's listen to that. You know, do you turn the air condition? You know, what, you know, there are so many of these issues. We need to listen to our kids and see what, what's disturbing them. I had a kid on the spectrum who was a, a client for a short time come in with his dad. And I said, well, how you doing today? And he goes, I'm doing fine, but my parents are fighting a lot. And they say really mean things to each other when they're fighting. And it makes me really sad. And I wish they would stop. But then what my dad said to my mom is, what did and, and the dad's looking at the kid like, these are, this is the stuff we don't talk about. Like, the, you know, the filter is what I'm, is what I'm getting at. It seems that children with spectrum behavior, spectrum disorder, um, have no filter. They will just say whatever's in their brain. There's no social consciousness to what we talk about in public and what we talk about in private. That's right. Uh, I, and, and I'm wondering, is this the egocentric thing? Is this the, the past pain thing? Like, yeah. uh, what is this? Yeah, it's, they, they see things in a literal way. They don't th- see the, the, the jokes, the double entendres. They don't see things from different points of view and they take things literally. And, and uh, I'm, uh, I was just telling someone a story about this little five-year-old girl. Uh, she's in the playground and she's looking up and she had spina bifida. So, you know, she couldn't walk. So I'm there with her. I'm watching her really closely. I don't want her to fall. And I noticed that, um, you know, the, the sun's, the sun's in her eyes. And I said, Hey, is the sun in your eyes? And she says, no, the sun is in the sky. So it's that sort of thing. You know, there's a real literal thing. Now the kids could get really in trouble. And this is another, another good example of seeing it from the other person's point of view. This kid called this girl fat in the classroom. He didn't mean it. He doesn't have a mean bowl. And it is, the girl didn't receive it as, I don't even think the girl even heard it. If she heard it, she didn't care. But the teacher said, no, we don't do that. We don't talk about sexual orientation or physical. He, she's giving this hope. This, and here's my point. The kid doesn't understand what he did wrong. You know, we, we're not looking at it from the kid's point of view. You could take him to the side and give him a lesson of, of how that could be offensive. But she's just assuming the kid's being offensive. We don't do that. And he doesn't understand it. And he's angry because what did I do wrong? The assistant principal comes in, he winds up kicking the AP, winds up being suspended for two days, comes to my office. I have to spend the next hour trying to just have him realize that it really isn't his fault. He's just being who he is. He's just being open and honest and literal. He's not trying to be anything else. And he's and I have to I have to explain to him. And then I have to go into the school and say, <laughs> he's suspended for two days. So I come in with him and I go, you know, this one's on you. You know, you have to start looking at situations. 
and I'll say this over and over again, what he, he, he didn't, he didn't mean that, but he, but it's, but it's true. He, no, the teacher shouldn't be taking offense of, of a lot of things, what the parents, that what the kid is saying, and also the parents. It seems that so many of the things that you're talking about um, start to make kind of like start to add up to high intellect. And I've, I've tended to notice that kids with autism, kids on, on the spectrum are extremely intelligent, but they're, they're literal. They're very caught up in an analysis process. The, the, the wisdom of, I mean, that should be the title of your next book, quite frankly, is the sun in your eyes. No, the sun is in the sky. You know, the, that is that is the most intelligent, brilliant. And she must have thought you were an idiot. <laughs> that is that's literal genius. But the literal nature of it, the 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 obsessive quality of not just rocking or the arms flailing or the, the, the plate spinning, but also that, that the analysis, right. yes to paralysis, but there is a constant analysis going on, yet it doesn't seem to extend beyond themselves, right? They're, they're just continually in an analysis process of the input, not of what they're putting back out, but that is going to create a high level of intelligence. You can't be in a constant state of analysis and that literal and not be intelligent. That's right. And there's, there's no question about that. The Bill Gates of the world, uh, I haven't talked to Bill personally, but he's <laughs> he's been thought of as having Asperger's, including Thomas Jefferson and Oliver Wendell Holmes and... and uh, and da Vinci, you know, and, and Einstein, right? So they right. are, a lot of these people are, are highly intelligent and often beyond the scope of what they're being taught. So I read Siddhartha with this kid every, this high school kid every day. Every time I see him, I read Siddhartha. He wants, a, he wants to learn parapsychology. He wants to learn about world, world religions. And, and he, the, the school doesn't connect with him and that causes anxiety for him. And that's part of what you were saying in the first place. We as a whole have to understand these kids. So I was going to be a hero with this kid. He had an assignment, uh, pick your favorite movie or TV show and write about it. It's a writing assignment, right? And he said, I can't do that because I don't, I don't watch movies and I don't watch TV. Can I do it with a book? You know, my teacher said, no, I have to do it with a movie. You know, can I do it with a book? He's, he has Asperger's, so he doesn't go up to the teacher. Hey, teach, can I? No. So I said, this is perfect. I'm going in the next day. I'm going to talk to the dean directly. I'm going to say, this may sound like a real silly question, but do you mind if he just reads it by, you know, does it with a book instead of a movie and a, or a TV show? Because he doesn't watch that stuff. He says, no. It has, the teacher said this, it has to be this. And this is the only time I've ever raised my voice to a, you know, to a, a, a team. <laughs> I said, I, I couldn't believe, but like there's no, I don't know what to call it, but what the intelligence of these people uh, have to, and this is, this is, have to be respected. They yeah. have to be respected. Here's a story that I usually end my talks with. Sir Isaac Newton 
1665, there was a plague of London, the Great Plague of London. You might have heard about that. And, and, and everyone in Cambridge University needed to leave. And he went to his parents, just like it is here. You know, he went to his parents' home 60 miles away. And when the account that I read about is like, there was no school. School was almost oppressive to him. There were no teachers telling him what to do. There was no curriculum. He was like, just leave me alone. And on his own, of course, and with our population, they may need a little help, right? I'm not saying everyone's, everyone who's as Asperger's is Isaac Newton, but there he is. And that's when he discovered the uh, theory of gravity. When he was away from his school at his parents' house, and there are accounts to say that there was an apple tree in his, you know, but that's when he discovered the theory of gravity. Why can't school, and this is the difference, I think, of school and education, why can't school go beyond its walls and think of them as, think of it as, as education, which has no walls? Why don't we take what these kids are love and what they do and what their quirkiness is, and why don't we go with that and see where that goes? It does, you know, you're, that goes back to a point you made earlier about when we get a concept, an idea that a child might be demonstrating spectrum behavior, is that we literally have to change from you need to learn what I have to teach you um, to you know what I need to learn. Said that, it, that an adult says that to a child, you know, that this child knows what I need to learn. We really do have to change our paradigm. And I agree wholeheartedly, in fact, it's like one of the most famous TED Talks about how school can just get in the way of the education and more so for a child on spectrum. This is why I like Does, and this, this is a This is a, a parent question I know that's going to come up. Does that mean that you have to homeschool your autistic kid? That's a great question. And this is, that was, you don't know how great that question was because when, I'm, when I give talks on COVID and, and, and autism and, and bringing up these kids, I'm saying with homeschooling, you have an opportunity to do something that they're not going to get in school. And that is, that's the things that I'm talking about. Getting this kid to think about another person's point of view, right. typically that's not done in school. I do that in my office. This is a, a, an opportunity for parents to do that at home. So you, you really you really hit it on the, on, on the nose. Here's the question. How do you do that? How do how you, do, you do it? Language. So I have, I'm going to get something. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a concrete example because like my book, it, it, Temple Grandin wrote the forward to the book. She said one reason why she liked the book, it's practical. It gives you practical ideas of what to do with your kid. So I'm going to give you a practical idea of what we're talking about here. How do you, how do you elicit language from a kid without telling him what to say? <laughs> so, right. uh, so here's, I have a plant in my room here. So here's a watering can. And um, routinely, because these kids like routines, she, this little girl um, you know, takes the water and waters my plant every time. So what do I do? And I'm going to ask you about this. One day she comes in and, and there's no water in it. She's looking like this. She's looking, she's looking. Apparently, she looks like she's thinking. 
right? Which, which is fine for me as a cognitive oriented person, maybe not fine for a behavioral person because you can't measure thinking. We just care about what you measure. Right. That's an aside. Now, here's my question to you, and I've asked this to hundreds of people in my talks. She's thinking, what do you say as a parent or a therapist? What do you, it's a trick question. What, I'm more to you. What do you say to this kid who's going, what do you say to uh, him? My, my, first, my first instinct is, do you want me to get you some water? Right. Okay, great. Okay. Now, I'm saying, and don't be offended by this. I'm not. I'm not. Again, that's, that's what came to, that's the first that's thing that popped in. I say that's audacious. Who do you think you are? <laughs> right? <laughs> this is great. That's <laughs> to, fantastic. To know what's in the kid's mind. Boy, that's so, incredible. So this is, this is the answer to the question. And, and this is why I have fun with this when I give my talks. I get answers. I say, this is the answer to the question. If you see this kid kind of thinking about a situation, what you do is nothing. Let, let, let's see what comes up. Uh, this isn't from me. It's from a physician who uh, loves my work. He says, the purpose of the book, like Temple says, it's practical. He says, the whole thing I get from this book is one thing. I'm getting language from within the child. That's the whole thing. That's what the whole book is about. Getting language from within the child. I'm giving the child the chance to get that language to surface. So you know what this kid says? This is one of her first words. She looks at this and she says, empty. Now, wow, empty. I'm, I'm sure that that's not the first 50 words on the speech therapist list of what the most common words that kids say, right? Like, you know, maybe dog is, maybe mommy is. Let me teach a kid. Most kids learn mommy first. Let's, most kids learn dog first. Let me show a picture. Forget it. Let the language come from the kid. The kid says empty. Wow. I couldn't predict it. You couldn't. Who could predict that? Let the language come from now. Now, I have to be honest. I might do this sort of thing 30 times in one session. If it works one time, I'm happy. The kid's connecting to language right? This kid was six years old. It, this kind of thing hasn't been done, you know, for the last four years. I'm happy with one out of 30 at working. Right. You know, I want to be honest, you could try this thing. As long as you know, this is the perfect thing, in quotes, for your child, set up something like this, keep doing it and give your child the opportunity to, to engage with within themselves and have language come out. Part of the notes I'm writing is because I take these talks and I turn around and we want to train our staff when we're working with a kid on spectrum. We want to we want to say, you know, how important the routine is, which in residential treatment, it's all about the routine, whether the child's on spectrum or not, like and the, and the schedules posted on the wall. The difference is, is that who can swing with the routine change and who can't? That's where the staff starts to go, okay, well, what do we do about little Stevie over here who if we say parents are coming in for parent weekend, so on Thursday, instead of doing this group, we're doing a second 12-step. And he goes, we already did 12-step. Like, we're doing another one for the parents, but I already did my 12-step, right? And, and our 12-step is a modified, it's not about addiction, it's about pattern behavior that we're all trying to stop. So even he's got his form 
I, so I hear the importance of routine. I also heard that you're actually providing space to learn. I loved your response when I said, do you want me to go get some water? Like how audacious that I know exactly what this child needs or what this child is thinking or what this child wants me to do next. Leave space to learn because in that moment of you doing nothing, not only is the child starting to access the language that we so desire them to have, but I'm also learning what it's going to take to actually help my child access language, space, quit trying to fill the space. And that is so hard for parents because space, silence, doubt is uncomfortable. And none of us want to be uncomfortable, let alone this child who will scream like I, they, like their arms broken if they get the slightest bit uncomfortable. And I don't know what to do. So I can't be comfortable in space. So I love this. So my next question now moves right into problem solving. Do I then, if the child says empty, is that enough and I call off the lesson or do I say fill? Ah, good, good question. Uh, First of all, what I don't do, the kid says empty, okay? What I have to say this, because this is the predominant way these kids on the spectrum are taught, period. What I don't do is clap and say good job and say, oh, I give the kid an M&M, some reinforcement. Right? <laughs> that's what I don't do. Right, right. I'm not a behaviorist. I, that's what I don't do. What I do do is exactly what you suggested. Now, finally, I say the kid's in the right mindset of language. It might be the first time in their life that they're, they're connecting This this might be the first time that they're saying this word word will help me achieve the results I desire. Right. It's like exactly, and that's that's a good. It's and I have a tape of 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 how I do this with these kids, that girl. So uh, with with something else. So what you do is exactly what comes to your mind naturally. So if you say whatever you say. You said, oh, should we fill this? What should we, what should we do? Why is it empty? Does it, you know, whatever you're saying in that moment that seems just right, not calculated, right. Um, is, is going to be, let's see if we can get more language from her. Let's yeah. see, if we can, you know, where should we go? You know, we get water in the bathroom down the hall. I mean, whatever, I don't remember what, exactly what I said, but I, I know this much, and I'll be honest with you. Whatever I said to try to continue her thinking and her language didn't work. She didn't keep on talking or else right. I would have the tape of, I would, I can tape, I would, I, but that's my idea. Let's continue the language. Now it seems that if you are providing the space to learn from the child, that the moment the child, you know, they say empty and maybe in my mind, I say, Phil, and they drop it and they go on to something else. Oh, well, well, I then should you say, drop it and you go on to something else. Like they're, they're actually showing you that's the extent of their process today. Try again later. Like tune in tomorrow. Right. And But um, oh, here's where the behavioral approach works, the reinforcement. Because we can't get it around, you know, reward and punishment. If you right. hey, I can't stand you, Rob, you're... You're, you're gone. You're out of here. I'm going to feel bad because, hey, there's a punishment. There's a negative consequence. So I want to recognize, I want her to know, hey, that worked, that empty. Yes. Wow. Yes, it is empty. I'm fine with that. Reinforce that word in real time. I'm fine with that. It should be done. 
but but it's her world. Yes, it is empty. Yeah. Oh wow. Let me see. Let me see. Oh yeah, it's empty. Right. So now so, I'm saying what she's saying. Yeah, and now if she wants to maintain the routine, she's having to step into the process. If she doesn't, she'll step out and we'll move right. on to something else. Right. But you, that's you, following the child. Exactly. You're giving her the opportunity to continue that, wait a second. <laughs> no, wait a second. What happened? Wait a second. Right. You interrupted my perseveration, and now you're making me think. Right. So that's, that's, what's, uh, that's part of what we need to do with these kids. We're interrupting their repetitive act and trying to get them to think. So one of the things that, that I had brought up in this, I, this, is, this is just unbelievably fascinating. One of the things that I had brought up um, in my last, you know, kind of a, a, a example was the example of a child on, on spectrum who, like, when they get hurt, hmm. like, I can't tell whether they've pinched their finger yeah. Um, between two Legos or they've just gotten their leg chopped off. Their, their yeah. reaction to pain doesn't seem to have a b barometer. Like, it, like it's zero to 60 in a millisecond. One, like what is the disconnect there? What is the neurological disconnect between um, of 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 that why why are they screaming when they've only just barely pinched themselves or there, or there may be kids who won't react at all when they're hurt or when they're sick and 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 it's and it's you don't you don't know what's going on and that's a whole different issue there are these often very often and most parents would, would see this with their kids there's sensory overloads there, there's they're not connected to their sensory system like we are like and, sensory uh, integration uh, yeah, issues. So noise, okay. sound, pain, any of that. They, they act and react differently. I mean, there's a 25-year-old, I say, that can't wear a, a college shirt. He can't wear a shirt with any kind of label on it, you know? And he goes get a, get a job, and, they, and, the, and the boss says, well, yeah, that's not part of our, our job our dress code. And they don't get it, and he winds up being fired. Um, and he could explain, but... <laughs> But, you know, you have to be, you know, I can't make an exception. I'm sorry. Um, and, and it's something to be bringing it back to the COVID situation. It's something to be aware of as a parent. You may say, oh, let's get the whole family together and have dinner. Well, that may be too much noise, too much light, too, much, too many smells. And maybe that kid on the spectrum really needs to go into his own room or go into his own space. And you're saying, wait a second, this is family time. But it may be too much. The noises may be too much. We have to be aware of that, with, especially with these kids on the spectrum, that their sensory connection is different from, from, from ours. So this, man, I could, I could, Robert, I could ask you questions all day long. And I know we're, we're starting to come around to the end. And there's some things, we, there's some housekeeping we definitely need to get under our belts, how people can find your book, you know, connect with you directly, those types of things. But I still have a, a few more questions. And I still want to say, if a parent is considering that their child might be spectrum, what are three to five things that they can start to do right now that would help 
relax the nervous system of the household. And you just brought one of them up. When you have a child who has sensory integration, it's funny that you brought the tags thing up for the shirt. That has always been mine. I tear tags out of my shirts to this day. I am 50 years old and it will distract me uh, from anything. I got in the middle of a martial arts uh, uh, match and I'll be like, this tag, you know, and, and people are like, dude's punching at you. Like, what are you? The, I'm evaluating you as we speak. <laughs> so, uh, so when, how much does a family, well, let's say you've got other siblings, you've got other kids, how much does a family have to alter things for this child who can't have guests over because it's too much you know is it just a matter of buying the kid a set of headphones and tell your fan the rest of your extended family to suck it up this kid's not going to talk to you he's going to be thanksgiving dinner but he's going to be looking at his nintendo switch during the whole time and that's it and that's all and you don't have to come to dinner or do does everybody have to you know how much change do you make or is that another thing we have to follow the child for like it feels that like you're indulging the the egocentricity of an autistic child is that healthy you're bringing up so many interesting points here um my job my primary job is to get this kid better so and that can mean any number of things Let's just say, just take routines and the parent and, and this idea, well, the parent has to survive too, right? You can, the parent can tell the kid, look, the kid likes routines. So after lunch, you got to leave mommy alone. I don't care what you do because mommy has a Zoom business meeting. In other words, the school has routines. I think the routines in school is at least partly for the teacher, not only for the kid, it's partly for the teacher to survive. And I'm not saying that's, that's a big thing. No, right? that's hysterically true. Right? It's absolutely true. The kid be seeing a butterfly at the window and ready to say his first word because he's really engaged with, with nature. And the, parent, and the teacher might say, oh, we're doing circle time now. Come back here. You'll have free time in 45 minutes. Then you can, then you can say your first word. <laughs> look at the butterfly. You know? But the point is... <laughs> Routines are really, in some way, some at least partly for the teacher. Now, you're, it's ho you're home. Have the kid establish routines because you need it as a parent. So now, after lunch, that kid, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do because mommy needs some time. After lunch, you could play with the video. You could do your homework. You could do your, read a book. I don't care what you do. Leave mommy alone. After dinner, for example, if the kid doesn't do his homework, then... He's not going to do it at all. Establish that routine that, they, that he or she has to do homework then. So this idea of, of what to do when and how much do we lean over and it's a, extending that egocentric centricity. Um, let, me go, let me go on one tangent. Siblings. Every single sibling of an autistic kid has asked me the same thing. And that is, how do I help my brother? How do I help my sister? They don't know, okay? Their answer to that is, I'm out of here. I'm gonna leave, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna engage. 
because I don't know what to do. Every time I engage him, he screams. I don't know what, that's his way of coping, right? He's, he's yes, you could say he's accelerating his, the kid's egocentricity because he's not doing anything for, for him. Uh, so my job is to tell the sibling, and I did this the other day, when your brother, your autistic brother is dragging you to the refrigerator because he knows he wants some milk or something, stop, try to elicit language. He knows what he wants, it's in here. Say, where should we go? At least let him hear, even if the kid doesn't respond. You know, if, if it were me, I'm gonna ha- try to have him respond as many times as he's able to try. But at least let him hear, oh, do you want milk from the refrigerator? Where are we going? At least try to engage him. And that's, a, that's a, something you can do. These brothers and sisters, like they, wow, I wish I knew this when my kid was, was two years old and now he's going to college. I mean, they just wanna know what to do. But that's kind of the answer, real, the real answer to your question, what do we do with a kid who, is, who needs headphones? And I'm saying, if you need your life, if you have friends over and that's what's important to you, leave the kid alone. That's not the time to have a lesson with him. That's not the time for him to understand that there are other people in the room and he has to be polite because that's the, so that's, it's not gonna work. Leave the kid alone. But if there's an opportunity for the kid to, to bring the kid out of his own shell and say, wait a second, your friend is over. Your friend is over at the house. You have to engage him because that's what it means to be a friend and an employer kind of force this kid or, or convince this kid like he's not going to come over again. Because from his point of view, you're ignoring him. Yeah, rail into the kid. That's a time for not, not to go along with the kid. Make it real. Make it real okay. situations dictate the behavior and the goals for that kid. Let's talk about, as, as we transition, um, real quick, could you give four or five uh, signs that a parent, and I know we've talked about a lot, but just some of the ones that stand out for you, that if a parent is wondering why their kid's different, can you give four or five things that this parent might see that would make them say, I need to look at, at Spectrum Behavior stuff, I need to Google, I need to watch a YouTube video, I need to get this book? What, what, are, what are four things that, that a parent needs to look for if they're wondering if their child's on, on the spectrum? Number one, in my mind, is the kid's not engaging. The kid's not engaging in what you think is typical behavior. The kid's not engaging with something that the kid is interested in. That, that's a, that's oh, interesting. Right? And that's, that's my hope. I have chemistry experiments. I have... Obsidian rocks here. I have, uh, you know, chemistry experiments. If the kid is not interested in what you think he should be interested in, and he's he's all over the place, that tells you a lot. If the kid's doing some assignment that's inherently boring, that doesn't tell me anything that he's not interested. There's nothing wrong with that kid. You're forcing him to do some 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 writing, which which is he's not. That's that's torturous for him. So. If the kid is, I, I have, I order pizza. I know the kid wants pizza. He's hungry. He says, can I have pizza? And I purposely wait about 20 seconds. And all of a sudden, pizza is the last thing on his mind. I know the kid's thinking pattern is not 
congruent. It's not okay. connecting. And that's, that's a really obvious sign. Parents sort of have to be obvious. Oh, that's him. No, don't make excuses for your kid. If the kid's not engaging, if the language isn't there, if, if, if the kid doesn't know how to express himself, if he's crying, it may be because he's frustrated and not expressing himself well, uh, he doesn't understand certain things. A lot of these kids understand everything. All right. If he understands everything, why, does, why isn't he engaging in, in, a, in right. a compatible way? So that, that, to me, that's, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Okay. Um, if, if, if parents are struggling with their kids that they know are on spectrum, we talked about uh, routines being such a big one. Is organization a big one? Like having your house organized or, you know, is it, can the kid live in a messy room? I, you know, because we talk about stimulus, but I could live in a messy room, but I couldn't have a tag on my shirt. Like, like, which is it? It's a great question. I think it's, it's, um, it, the answer really is from the kid's point of view. I think the kid's fine with a messy room. My office is not, it's not, I, I leave, I have, uh, you know, I leave these chemicals right on my desk. Why? Because if the kid touches them, I have a reason to tell them no. I, I want the no to mean something. So um, the, the key is this, whether it's messy or not, observe your child. See if the kid really is distracted by, by things around the room. So um, like I'll have a little girl and uh, she, uh, she goes around the room and she, she plays with this. She said she wants to water the plant but she just keeps on going around the room and she takes this literally and hits my computer. There's a dent on it because a little girl hit it. She's going around the room. So all right, whether it's neat or not, she'll create a mess. Right. <laughs> you create chaos because her mind is chaotic. And this is the little girl Addison in my book. And she sits down and I'm saying, you know what? I'm my, my part of me is angry. Like, Man, you just hit my computer. But I remind myself, like Phil Oak said, wait, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm an educational therapist here. I can't be angry. I, hate. So I, I said to her, and I read this in my book, and I, I love what I said because I read it back now. I said to her, I said, I, didn't care, I don't care about your behavior hitting. I don't care about changing your behavior. What I said was, I, I said, you see, it seems like your mind is all over the place. Your mind is all over the place. That's what I care about. Care about Got the it. kid's mind, not that he broke something or hit something or that kind of, of course, if he's hurting himself, that's different. Hurting his yes. brother, that's different. And, and, and she realized <clears throat> that yes, my mind is all over the place. She agreed with me. What do we call it? And this was years ago, and, and I love this word at the time, she said, let's call it Zooming. This is what she said. It's in the book. Let's call it Zooming. Great. Now we have something that we could talk about. How do we get Zooming better? I don't know the answer to that. It's like, I don't know what the language is going to come with the, I don't, I know you're looking at the time. Um, how do we get Zooming better? And then the answer to that was doing yoga. She did yoga nice. to calm herself down. And after that, maybe I saw her one or two sessions after that, I didn't have to see her anymore. 
She knew how to calm her mind down. This is a kid who was all over the place. In school, she'd do the same thing, throwing papers on the floor, going around the room. And now she gathered herself and was aware of herself and knew how to calm herself down. And as a martial arts instructor, you would appreciate that story. Yeah. Robert, your book is uh, 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 uniquely normal. And unique normalcy? No. Uniquely, no, no, sorry. uniquely normal. I have it here. Uniquely normal. That's right. Uniquely yeah. normal. Where can people get it? Amazon. You know, Perfect. uniquely normal. Or my name, Rod Bernstein. And, um, and by the way, I, I love the title. Tapping the, the reservoir of normalcy. Tapping the reservoir of normalcy to treat autism. So if you, if you, if you filter what I said today with you, there's a reservoir of normalcy there that we want to yeah. surface. And I really believe yeah. that. Robert Bernstein, uh, how do people get in touch with you? Are you on the big five social medias? You want an email? How, how can people uh, get you directly? My, uh, my email is rjb, Robert J. Bernstein, my initials, at autismspeech.com. A-U-T-I-S-M-S-P-E-E-C-H, autismspeech.com. I'll give you my phone number. You can text me. Please don't call because my phone gets filled up and I'm happy to get text 914-330-3393. And I have a podcast of my own, Uniquely. Please talk about it. Yeah, well, Uniquely Normal with, you know, with Rob Bernstein. You could check that out. My Facebook is Autism Speech uh, hyphen Rob Bernstein. But um I love direct contact with the email, autismspeech.com, rjb at autismspeech.com. Rob, thank you so much. This is this has blown my mind. Uh, there's still questions I want to ask, so I want to, you and I will talk uh, at a later time uh, about uh, a second episode. There, there's there's so much more I want to ask about this. Uh, parents, uh, good, listen to his podcast, uh, uh, Uniquely Normal, uh, with Rob Bernstein. Um, get his book, Uniquely Normal. It's available on Abson, RJB at autismspeech.com. Uh, get in touch with him. Get your questions answered. Parents, remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, your children third, because in that way we do our best work with our children. If you're wondering if your child needs residential care and you'd like Fire Mountain to take a look at the situation, Please call 303-443-3343 and talk with our admissions office. If we're not the right facility, we will help you find the right facility. Also, please listen, like, subscribe, and share, and go to iTunes and leave a review if you would. It really helps parents who need support find support by leaving those reviews and helping my podcast get found easier by parents who need help. Thanks so much to Deepin Productions for the engineering of this podcast. And again, thank you to my guest, Robert Bernstein, his book, Uniquely Normal. Um, and uh, let's get these questions answered about spectrum behavior. Robert, thank you one more time for being on the show. Let's get another show under our belts with each other. We'll do that. Thanks, Aaron, for having me. It's my pleasure. We'll talk again soon.